Welcome to It's All About the Questions, where learning to ask the right questions can help you achieve lifelong success. Now, here to help you ask all the right questions is award-winning author, international speaker, and business strategist, Laura Stewart. Good morning, afternoon, and evening, everyone, and welcome, welcome, welcome to the show. So excited to be here as always. I hope my voice um, sounds nice and clear to you guys. I had to start some new medication um, due to an anaphylactic reaction <laughs> when they had to put the new AC into my house. So um, I'm on some new medication that's making me a little bit hoarse, but you know I'm still able to do the show. So between the ear and now the throat, we're doing okay. Um, you know, and it's just so funny because you know adversity happens to people all the time. Sometimes it feels like everything's happening all at once. And when everything's happening all at once, our brains begin to have trouble focusing on any one thing. And we feel like we're failing because we can't always do everything that we wanted to do when we wanted to do it. And we had these plans. Or the productivity methods that we had before aren't working anymore. And I hear this a lot from my clients, from listeners, from friends that, they, they just, they still feel maybe they're being effective but not as effective. They're wondering if they need to take this time to shake things up, to change things, and go forward. So I'm excited that I'm able to bring my guest to you today, August Bradley. He, he's one of those people that I met be, that I'm so glad I met because I write for Podcast Magazine. I'm the category director for Technology Podcast, and he has an amazing, amazing podcast called Mind and Machine, which is one of the top-rated podcasts on iTunes. And he's also got several other podcasts and YouTube platforms that he's doing. And his focus is on this whole idea of performance and mind and how to use technology to help improve your life and your business because, you know, technology is there to assist you. It's not meant to replace you. It's to help you be even better than you are now. So, August, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you, Laura. It is awesome to be here with you. I'm excited about this. I, you know, I could have gone through a litany of your background and everything, but people can read the article in a <laughs> podcast magazine that I had written about you or they can go online and find you. But I really, I would love for you to share to start out why this whole mind concept and technology is so important to you, because it's literally right. everything that has driven you for so many years, but it's not how you started out. <laughs> but it means, yeah, I mean, we're all sort of trapped in our own perspective and our own outlook on life and our own frameworks, and so much of it is an illusion, right, because there's so many different frameworks and outlooks you could have, yet you adopt one, and you tell yourself the story, and you believe that that's the story, and that's the truth, and you buy in on one story of who you are, what you're capable of, what the world's like, and you're just all in on that one narrative. But that narrative isn't the only narrative you could have, and you have the ability to change it if the narrative's not working for you. But so few people know that and take the actions that enable you to really shape your own narrative, the narrative to yourself in your own mind, and to realize that that, yeah, that narrative is an illusion and not be a slave to it. You know, so you can take through that process, take more control of your life, 
And there's a lot of science backing this. There's a lot of technology that facilitates that kind of more deliberate, intentional, you know, steering of your own life. And so to me, that's like the most important, most profound question is how do we do that? You know, how do we drive our own narratives so that we can be the people we want to be and achieve the things we want to achieve in life? And there's never before this moment in history been more understanding and science and technology to enable that. And that's what sort of inspires me about this whole field. It's fascinating to me because, you know, like when you said, people sort of get frozen in a narrative and how they're going to implement their narrative. And, I, you know, I feel I've been frozen for the last few years between everything going on with me health-wise and my mom passing and stuff, but I never used to be that way. And I hear this from my clients all the time because I'm able to help them shift out of it, but it's hard to shift yourself out of it. Sure. It's the hardest. In fact, you know, it's easy to give a good advice to other people, isn't it? But you look at yourself and it's harder, and, and sometimes your friends will try to give you advice, and it seems so obvious to them. So that's what I, that's what I mean when I say we're, we're trapped or doomed to our own perspective. Um, we're not actually trapped and doomed, but it seems like that because we don't realize that, that it is a choice to a large degree and that our mind is spinning these, these narratives that are not inherently true. They're just one take on things. Uh, so, I mean, it's a process to discover the power you have over shaping your own outlook on things and your own frameworks. But, yeah, it's not – but by nature – the, the story that comes to us by default and our minds are really good at creating these stories and it will give you a story <laughs> and not always a good story and you'll loop on that story like you'll hyper fixate on on negative elements something you know either a regret or a wonder of how something came across or a fear of the future you will hyper loop on these and tell yourself the, the most boring story in the world with the same thing over and over someone else were telling you the story that you are telling yourself in your own mind, you'd, you'd think the, con the person was insane. You know, the way they just tell you the same few lines over and over and just obsessing over it. You would not want to have that conversation. Yet we do that in our own head perpetually. So just discovering that that's happening is kind of a breakthrough. And then from there, you can look for ways to sort of take more control or at least recognize what's happening. One of the things that you talk about a lot on mind and machine, is the whole idea that developers of technology, and whether it's, you know, technology as we think of it, like computers and AI or um, equipment or things like that, or if it's medical, like we're all looking at COVID right now and all these people have come up with new ways of using old drugs to possibly help with this or to create new testing to figure out how to get the right testing and immunizations, whatever the tech is, whatever the new ideas are. You talk about how the original people who come up with the ideas have very, very narrow focus, right? They have an idea to create something. And then at some point, like Post-it notes, I love this as a great example. I mean, the narrow focus for 3M was they were trying to develop the stickiest adhesive in the world. And 
what came out of it was post-it notes, which is not the stickiest adhesive in the world. But at some point, somebody saw, and actually it was a secretary, right, who saw these things that the guy had made, and he was just putting the failed stickiest adhesive on some paper, and he was using it. And next thing you know, everybody at 3M was using it and became one of their top-selling products. What have you seen with the research you've done about when or how the narrow focus begins to expand? That's a great question. Yeah, so I talk with a lot of engineers, a lot of scientists, and people inventing things and building things from really innovative things. You know, the show touches on artificial intelligence and augmented reality and uh, genetics and gene editing, just crazy revolutionary stuff. And so I talked to a lot of the people at the forefront of those technologies, the people building it. And it's not surprising when you really think about it and you get to know them. They're driven by curiosity. They're driven by achievement in their field. And they're really focused on solving hard problems. They are excited by the challenge. It's kind of like this impossible puzzle. How do you make a machine think or you know, learn as it goes from its inputs and actually teach itself. Those are incredibly cool challenges to them and really to a lot of us. And when you focus just on making it happen, it's, it just seems so harmless because you're, you're solving this cool problem and there's clearly so many benefits you could apply this toward. And that's what they're hyper-focused on, not, not by choice, but just by nature. That's the challenge ahead of them, and it's inspiring, and it's, you know, it's rewarding. If you make any progress, it's incredibly rewarding. And they're, you know, doing their work to get that, you know, that sense of achievement by in pushing that progress just an inch forward at, at any given point. And they're just totally focused on solving this, this really cool, interesting, intellectual problem. Uh, and they're, but they're not philosophers, and they're not ethicists, and they're not social scientists. So that's not the framework in which they apply the potential outcomes of what they're doing. So it's just an issue of focusing on what they do, which is building and solving technical problems, that they create incredibly powerful things that then have consequences they never even sat down to look to think about. It just, you know, we talk about Facebook. So Facebook was just a way of sort of networking using some some interesting software that would let people network and share stuff. Nobody, I, mean, I don't think the founders, I don't think Zuckerberg really thought it was going to be so influential in politics and shaping elections. Um, he's in a dorm room in college just trying to connect the, bring the, the printed Facebook onto online and give it some interactivity for communication. It's just what the ramifications of these technologies, because they're becoming so powerful, are so vast. The people you know, creating them, it's almost impossible. I mean, you can't really expect them to be social scientists, but the, the technologies are so profound now and so powerful, they have to be. So the world is changing because we've become so good at building things that that narrow perspective served us. You wanted the engineers to just focus on the engineering, and that worked, and that advanced the engineering, and then others could sort of manage the rollout of it. And But now the the rollout has so many unintended consequences and domino effects and butterfly effects. It's like you have to think so broadly. It's almost like you need a team of people from cross-disciplines 
from the very start. And we're starting to see that, especially in the artificial intelligence field. The AI field to me is fascinating. I was thinking about it um, yesterday as well because I remember when IBM Watson was first created, you know, and it was playing chess. I wonder if when that was originally created, IBM ever thought that it would be helping out in hospitals, whether it would be helping out with rebuilding ancient societies from ruins. Uh, I'm sure AI is being used today to give people virtual looks at even museums and other things to help kind of guide things going on. And sci-fi AI has been a massive thing, right? HAL in space, Uh, you know, in 2001, A Space Odyssey. Any book by James Rollins, his his book a couple of years ago, The Crucible, where he talks about AI and ties it way back to the times of um, the Dark Ages and things like that. So how does somebody, when they're beginning to think about developing something, do they need to, in your opinion, do they need to stay narrow, narrow focused, or do they need to be thinking of all of the potential uses for it or ramifications of it? I think the key is you need some people, the people, the engineers, the scientists really building it. The challenge before them is so daunting and so difficult. It's like they have to be hyper-focused and apply all their time. But I think the key for these more powerful technologies is to have teams around them. Now, a lot of these are very expensive technologies to develop. So inherently, they're happening in large corporations or in government. So those are organizations that have the resources to put teams on them. So I think that, and this is happening in some places more than others, but you need engineers who are hyper-focused on solving the technical problem, and that's just such a big task that takes all of their bandwidth, and that's totally justifiable. But you need, you know, people around them, ethicists. Surprisingly, when I went to college, being a, you know, the path to being an ethicist is philosophy, typically. When I was in college, being, you know, a philosophy major was like kind of laughed at. It's like, what are you going to do? Go work for a philosophy company? It doesn't set you up for any kind of career. <laughs> but now we are literally in a shortage of philosophy majors and ethicists in technology. Companies are looking for them, and there are so few people actually training in that path, particularly philosophy and ethics of technology. It's, it's a shortage in the capitalist market of that skill set. So ironically, things are catching up. And of course, I think that will be, you know, that'll change as the demand is, you know, students become aware there's a real career path there. I think that'll be appealing to more and more people. So I think that's shifting. But yeah, it's, it's a matter of having the right teams around these things. Now, it's also interesting as these, the resources to do science and technology are becoming more democratized, it takes less and less money and smaller and smaller organizations can do this. And that's, you know, one of the risks is that you have, you know, either rogue individuals or such a wide range of people capable of doing, for example, you know, biotechnology and small unmonitored labs, you know, with who knows what kinds of motives. So it's the lowering of the threshold also raises questions. But, but yeah, I mean, it's essential that, a combination of minds are applied to these problems together. But I don't think it's realistic for an engineer to become an expert 
on a wide range of other fields. You know, it takes it's a it's hard enough problem to be the engineer who can make a machine think. You know. Yeah, it it's always been a philosophy question for me, as, as you mentioned, because as a geek, you know, I use technology. I started out my career programming and things like that. I just decided it was too isolated for me. And I look at it and I go, what were they thinking when they did X and what were they not thinking when they did Y? I I look at the black hat hackers and the white hat hackers and people always used to say to me, well, ransomware, you know, where did it come from and how is it so prevalent? I'm like, well, because they sell it on the dark web and anybody who has some cash can just literally click here, click here, click that. They buy the list and they send it out. They don't have to have any any knowledge to do it at all yeah. other yeah. than how to get on the dark web, which is pretty easy to do. Yeah, no, for sure. It's, it's becoming more accessible. And once the knowledge exists, it spreads more easily than ever. Uh, so that's a risk for sure. But at the same time, you have the risk on the other side, other side which is, it, you know, if a very few number of organizations or people control this immense technology, then that's also a risk, right? So it's like, it's kind of a double-edged sword. If too many people have it, it's problematic. But if too few people have it, it's a problem. Um, you know, it's ultimately a solution that that's unsolvable because there are pros and cons. But ultimately, I don't think you want one corporation or one government controlling a power like really advanced futuristic artificial intelligence. Um, but you also don't want um, just anyone to be able to do gene editing and that kind of bio manipulation. So it, it, to some degree, it's field by field. And, you know, it still takes a lot of resources to do these most advanced technologies, but it is definitely changing fast. And it's something we all need to be aware of. That's why I started the show because so few people were aware of these things happening and the rate at which they're happening. Yet these technologies are going to profoundly affect all of us. I mean, it will touch everybody. So I think everybody needs to be aware and, and ideally engaged in the conversation to shape the policies and the expectations and the, the social, what society accepts and what society pushes back on. Because we can really shape the direction if people speak and make a collective will known. You know, I've used Zoom for years, and now it's become the main platform. And it's not the only platform that's out there, but it's like the main platform people are using to stay connected. So I wasn't at all surprised when all of a sudden all the negative sides of it came up on on the web and people are talking about, you know, it's not secure, it's not this or not that. And that started me thinking about, your show, and this whole conversation about what people don't know. Right. And it's a right. fascinating conversation, August, and I'd love your, your take on it because not everybody has access to the same knowledge that you and I have access to, right, the same people that you and I have access to, because it's just their focus is narrow, right? You and I tend right. to just like to research and go down rabbit holes, but we also have the luxury of being able to do that. And some people don't. So what do you say to them when they're, like, kind of shocked 
by some of the stuff that's coming out. Yeah, I mean, and it's understandable. If people have their lives to live and they have their work and they have their family, and you know, our you and I, our work is tied to these kinds of things. So you know, it's, we have an advantage of being up on it. But you know, ultimately, you know, we need to be informed citizens and make some effort. That's why, and, and there's never been a better time for that with podcasts, for example, and radio shows, and and you know, art medium and social media. Now you have to put a filter on too. So you have to discern who's what's credit or what's trustworthy and what's not, right? That's become, as information flows more easily, the sources need to be scrutinized more carefully because it's not just curated by established authorities. But that's, you know, good too, right? We had very few people determining what was the news for so many years. So now we've swung to the other extreme, and I don't think either extreme is ideal. But, you know, people have to do the best they can, but it's also important for those of us who have platforms to share this insight and to sort of emphasize what matters and what the trade-offs are. And, you know, people, they are trade-offs. We may decide that less privacy is worth it. There are, you know, but the problem is up front when new technologies come out, we are presented with the convenience and we're presented with the positive side. It's marketed, you know, it's inherent to the idea of selling products. And it's only later that the lag to when we realize the trade-off and the consequences when it gets exposed through one thing or another. And so I think ideally, if that information could be available at the initial point where you're making the decision whether to engage with the technology. But over and over, we see people trading uh, convenience for privacy. Even when outrage arises, we find out our privacy was exploited more than we realized. You know, there's an outpour of, you know, concern and, you know, people unhappy about that. But then nothing really changes. You know, people are upset with Facebook when we realize how the data has been used, but Facebook usage hasn't dropped off. You know, so ultimately maybe it's something the majority of people are willing to do. And this is also somewhat generational. And as generations come up with different expectations of privacy. So it's a complex issue with a lot of dynamics. And there's no one answer, but the, ultimately, the more you know, the better choices you can make. So I think that there's real value in things like the show that you're doing here. You had said something when I was interviewing you for the magazine, and it kind of fits with the conversation we're talking about. You had said basically transformation lives through process, system, and technology. And that's just a really short capture of the thought and before we go into the national news in uh, just under two minutes, your thoughts on, on that, taking us out with what my listeners can think about during the break so that when we come back and we talk about um, mind and mindset. Sure. I, I mean, process is sort of how we be, can shape who we want to be and how we be, what we become, like what we were talking about in the very beginning. So. The world is full of systems. There are systems everywhere. Systems have loops and repeating patterns. And we as individuals have these in our own behaviors. Societies have them. It's kind of, I don't know if you're familiar with fractals, but fractals are a type of geometry that has self-similar patterns. And whether you zoom in close or zoom out wide, you see the exact same patterns repeating themselves. And they can be depicted graphically and they're just stunning and beautiful. But there's like all this chaos organized in a way that we can explain. 
understand it. And these systems are happening with us individually and with societies, and we need to look for and understand these loops. All right. Well, that's a, that's a great way to everybody as we're going into the commercial break. Just think about that. We'll be right back with more from August Bradley. Welcome back, everyone. I'm here with the one and only August Bradley, who I just have been totally fascinated with ever since I first heard his podcast, Mind and Machine, and I've had the pleasure of talking to him several times, including an interview for Podcast Magazine, which still has free subscriptions, by the way. Go to podcastmagazine.com. And every time I talk to him, it's like my brain lights up, my body lights up. I get so excited at just the thoughts that evolve. And, August, I'm so glad (laughs) that you're here with me today for the second half of the show. Thank you, Laura. I'm excited to to be here with you. Um, Before the national news break, I I posed this thought out to you from something you had once said, the transformation lives through process, system, and technology. And the other part of that that you talk about is this whole concept of mindset, right? Right. Right. That we need to, that the brain and machines can work together to really take us to another level of, of our own individual beings. And you said something the other day when we were chatting. You talked about mindset being how you view yourself. But then you added this piece that I had never thought about before, but, you know, it was one of those goosebump shivers, mind-blowing, like you just heard going off in my brain. This whole idea of mindset for a lot of people, how you view yourself being whether you feel forward movement. Mm. And I'd love for you to expand on that concept because for many people right now, they're not feeling forward movement, but there is forward movement, just not in the way they thought of. Right. As we think about ourselves, and this is pretty universal and in different contexts and even in different cultures, that it's not so much our absolute state that determines how we feel about our lives, whether we feel good about it or bad about it, but it's, rather it's about whether we feel progress, whether we feel like we're progressing. So we could be in a bad state but getting better, or we could be in a great state getting better. Either way, we feel good. If we're in a great state, say you have an amazing setup in your life, but things are moving backwards, that backward motion is the primary factor that shapes your sense of satisfaction or happiness. So ultimately, the direction we're moving matters more than the absolute state we're in. And that's kind of a great thing, because we can't always control this, you know, the context we're in, but we can, if we apply ourselves properly, generate forward movement from any point. And you're right, during these, you know, these particularly difficult and challenging times, we've, a lot of us have felt setbacks. And even if there isn't like a setback that we can measure, we feel it, the anxiety is higher. Um, you know, and there are real challenges in, in living right now across almost any country in the globe because of the, the pandemic. So if we can sort of re- reset ourselves and sort of get a stabilize, you know, come to center in some way, assess where we are. And then from that point, look for ways we can make even small incremental progress. It radically changes your interpretation of, of where your life is. And so I think just recognizing that forward progress is the thing that resonates with us is 
encouraging because we can always move forward from where we are, regardless regardless of where we are. Yet what I, I hear from listeners, from friends, from clients, and even I've heard it come out of my own mouth, I'll be honest, everybody, as you know, I always am on my show, I'm like, I don't see any movement. I don't see how I could possibly have movement, you know, just when I think I can get back out there in the world a little bit with the ear thing, the pandemic hits and I'm not allowed out of the house, you know, or, okay, I'm feeling really good about things and then I have anaphylactic reaction to mastic sealants, right? So I can't leave my house, but I'm not safe in my house, right? Um, A client friend of mine is in the restaurant business, and they're like, I have no idea how to pivot. Mm -hmm. Let's say we feel like we're falling backwards. Right, falling falling backwards, but yet if you look at it, there's like 10 other things that are moving forward, like even in my statement to you, August. My ear's a little bit better, so I was like, oh, okay, maybe I can step out for a little bit. But that wasn't my brain's first thought, Right. That's not what it grabbed onto, as you said in the beginning of the show. Your mind is great at creating a story, even if it is not the best story. Right. So maybe you feel like you're moving backwards. I mean, a lot of us do right now. So just stopping that backwards movement is relative progress, right? Saying stopping is better than falling. So what can you do in your life to sort of stabilize? I think step one is if you feel like you're either in free fall or even just regression, you need to sit down and stabilize. And that can be done through a wide range of things. But I, you know, I, I usually first go to meditation because meditation teaches you, first of all, teaches you to recognize this, this illusionary, illusionary narrative constantly being created by your head. That's, yeah. So meditation is not this sort of new agey spiritual thing. It's very scientific. It's about chemistry in your brain and neuromechanics. And Basically, it's the act of studying the contents of consciousness, like what is happening in your mind. You're learning how your mind works when you meditate by observing it. And what you do is you're letting go of or making sure you're present. Present means you're not looking at the past, where regret lives, and you're not looking at the future, which is where fear comes from, and you're not fantasizing, but you're completely present. You feel your breath. You feel the sensations in the room that are real and present at that moment. And you train yourself just to be completely in that moment and let go of the future past and fantasy. And by doing that, once you get to that present state, you can study what is in your conscious mind. And usually, virtually always, things are not as bad as the story your mind is whipping up, you know, with the fear and the guilt. So that will just let you stop that sense of decline. And from that more stabilized center point, you can ask yourself, what can I do now in even if I'm in limited conditions and I can't leave my house, what can I do to progress? There are so many things we can learn. There's so many things we can come to understand about ourselves and about the world. And perhaps your restaurant or your clinic or your restaurant can't open. Well, are there other things you can do or can you learn about things that will make you more capable when it does open? Or is, is, in a lot of cases, I think people aren't even happy with their jobs. It just was working for them. This might even be an opportunity to shift into something they're more excited about. You've got the time and opportunity to explore that. But if you're just overwhelmed with anxiety, you can't. So you first have to stabilize and find your center. And I think, you know, practices like meditation, which takes some time to understand and get the results from, but it's life-transforming when you do. 
And uh, there's a book um, that I always recommend to people. I think it should be required reading in school by Carol Dweck. It's called Mindset. Uh, and it is, it's very simple, but it's profound. And it will reframe how you think about learning and changing yourself. Carol Dweck is a psychology professor at Stanford. And this book is just remarkable. I think absolutely everybody should read it. I always love recommending books on the show, so that's a that's a great option. And there's some great apps out there to help people who have no clue how to meditate as well. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, you want to start with guided meditation because at first you don't know what you're doing. So the, the, there'll be a voice, a gentle voice, sort of guiding you as you're and instructing your thoughts. And from that, you pick up techniques. You want to do different guided meditations from different sources so that you can learn different approaches. But it's ultimately letting go of the complexity. The, the funny thing is you spend all this time trying to discover how to meditate and you realize it was just the simplest thing right there on the surface, but you were just looking past it the whole time. And that's, you know, a lot about the way life is as well. Yeah, uh, somebody who was trying to help me learn how to meditate one day used an example of, have you ever worked on a project and you got in a flow and you lost all track of time and everything just narrowed and you just sort of understood everything? And I went, yeah, and he goes, that's a form of meditation. Yeah, well, that's what's called flow state. That's an actual psychological phenomenon. I did a whole episode on that with Stephen Kotler, one of the leading thinkers in flow state. And there are a set of that's what we are at our absolute best performance when we achieve a flow state. You can't stay in a flow state, but when you hit that that point where you lose track of time and you're completely engrossed in it, like you have this connection with the the thing you're working on so deep, and you work faster and you do better work. And the whole that's another way to progress is to find ways to trigger flow states. You can facilitate the creation of flow states through various habits and routines. And, you know, by fostering the kinds of things that jumpstart that kind of mental state, which, again, you can't sustain, but you can become better at doing it more frequently. That's What was that episode um, on Mind and Machine? Was it called? You it, mentioned the name of it, called, but I loved that uh, episode. The guest is Stephen Kotler. He wrote a book called, uh, what is it? I can't remember the exact title. The Rise of Superman, I think. And it's not Superman like the superhero. It's like Superman in the way that Nietzsche used the term. It's a superhuman. And that book looks at extreme athletes because extreme athletes live in flow states. You know, and I'm talking about, you know, skiers, skiing off cliffs and whitewater kayakers and, and, you know, the guys doing the huge skateboard stuff. Those activities trigger flow state because you cannot do that level of physical performance unless you're in flow state. And those are do or die scenarios. But he takes the triggers that enable those athletes to go into flow state and then applies it towards other fields, towards writing and towards science and towards anything you're going to do, you can achieve flow state in any activity. It's just harder. And so the the title of the episode on Mind and Machine is Flow States for Ultimate Human Performance with Stephen Kotler. But this is a whole field of psychology that people study, so you can dive into this. This is about achieving peak performance. And, and those people that are in flow state, they're they're not worried if in a moment prior to the flow state, as we started out this half of the show, they might have not been feeling forward moment they movement. They just said, "Okay, I'm not at this moment, but the next moment I may be." So they you lose, you lose track of everything in flow state. You are completely present. 
and there right. is no past and there is no future. <laughs> there right. is just the moment now. You're uh, it's you're so engrossed with it. You're so deeply connected to it. This is I mean if you're if you've ever been mountain biking or everybody's experienced flow state and those times when you're just so thrilled and engrossed in the moment and so inspired by what you're doing and you know you're so just in this different you feel like you're on a different plane and so that that exists by nature at various moments but the trick is how do you facilitate it and create it on demand that's the challenge and it's doable but that takes work and, and life design really Okay, so let's talk about life designs. I know one of the things that you're working with right now is um, this really cool app that you got me to sign up for, Notion, called Notion, and this whole idea of how you can sort of design the best productivity methods for yourself versus trying to force fit yourself into three other different kinds of solutions to help you be more productive, which can help you go into flow state. Right. And I think of it as more than just productivity, though that's part of it. It's designing systems for your life that enables productivity, but it's performance enhancement across the board. So it's knowledge management and knowledge accumulation and facilitation of learning. It's, you know, performance and efficiency and focus alignment. So, you know, you had an episode back in February on uh, focus, sorry, attention versus time management. Well, you can design systems that channel your attention that are, and channel that focus. You know, Bill Gates and Warren Buffett have, you know, are famous for saying the secret to their success is focus. Focus is central to achieving anything. And you can design systems that facilitate focus and alignment with knowledge and information that you're taking in, combining ideas to create new ideas. So, by systematizing all these things, you are better and faster and more consistent at doing it. And there's a whole new generation of software coming out. It's coming out of a movement called no-code software, but no-code is broader than that. No-code would be things like you know uh, websites without coding. But the, the sub-segment of it that lets you really design your own apps and your own software from a toolkit without any coding and anyone can do it. It takes a little bit of learning to figure out how to do it, but very little. And you need no formal training. You can just pick it up by tinkering. And with the notion is one of the ones at the forefront of this. And I would say the one that certainly the one I'm most excited about. And I think the one to start with, if you want to dive in and with this, you can design your own performance system across the board. And that's my, my latest uh, YouTube channel is all about designing these performance systems, with Notion. So that's under my August Bradley Notion Productivity channel. I use the term productivity there just because it's better for search. If people looking for this tend to search for productivity, but it's way more than productivity. And you can build dashboards that line up the specific tasks you need to work on at any given moment and remove all other distractions. Then you have other dashboards that align the activities you're doing at any given moment with the bigger projects you want to complete and the bigger goal outcomes you want those projects to deliver on and all the way up to the guiding principles of your life, the things that you've identified through a self-reflection process as who you want to be and the aspirations you have for your family, for your business, for whatever you're doing, whatever you prioritize. You create this whole pyramid of, of desires, aspirations, and identity of what you're striving for. And you flow through goals, the projects, the tasks, and you can design this whole system 
in Notion, as well as other, other apps. But other apps tend to have a point of view. They tend to have a system that you need to adopt to. Notion lets you build your own system. And that's daunting at first because most people don't know what they want. So you look at how other people have built systems and there are lots of YouTube videos and blog articles about this. There's a whole community building around this, uh, this approach of performance, life performance systems and particularly around the Notion software. And it's, it's a deep rabbit hole, but it's one that I think is incredibly fulfilling. When she put this into place, to me, it's been such a transformation to have these systems in a visual way with software supporting it. And I've been teaching this to a lot of people, both clients and friends, and it is game-changing for everybody I've seen who commits to it. Yeah, it's exciting times to be able to create your own software app without having to learn coding and just by tinkering with essentially Lego blocks and uh, sort of a digital form of clay that you can mold into your own purposes. And for my listeners who are not geeks, it I know August is saying, you know, that it's software and this and that, but it's it's more than that. Let go of the word software if that is freaking <laughs> you out. <laughs> <laughs> you're not you're not writing code. You're playing with visual elements and dragging and dropping. And there is a learning curve. I'm, I mean, it's not like you just it's not like drawing with a crayon. <laughs> but <laughs> right. the tools are designed for you to drag and drop and link, and you can do it at a simple level. And then as you get better, you add incremental levels of complexity. But you, they have a lot of templates you start with. You just copy a template, and then you start molding their template to conform with how you think and how you want to you know, process your daily activities. It's just totally brilliant to me. So if somebody is thinking right now, because they've heard everything we've talked about on the show, and they're going, I need to do one thing right now to help me move forward or think I'm moving forward or shift my mindset. Is there one thing that you would throw out there, one suggestion, one tip, one question to help somebody take stock and go, okay, here's my next? It depends on where that person is. Like, what are right. you, Where are you starting from? So if you're starting from a really rough place, like the anxiety is overwhelming, you feel like you're in a downward spiral, things are just going off the rails, you need to center. So you need to stop that decline. And everything starts with health. So you First and foremost, I think the most important thing is you need to make sure you're getting good sleep. So make sure you're, you're not pushing yourself and staying up late. And you need to get the sleep you need. Then you need to get proper nutrition. And then you need some kind of exercise. You need to take care of your body or your mind can't function. It's attached to your body. <laughs> so you need to, to bring things in alignment physically. Because if your physical well-being is, is off the rails, everything else is impossible. So start by just sleep nutrition, and some form of physical exercise, you know, even if you're stuck at home, this is doable. And then from there, I think the next step is meditation for anyone. This is, I think this is something everybody needs. Some people need it more than others, and usually the people who don't think they need it because their mind is too active need it the most. So <laughs> I think that you learn so much about how your mind works through med- meditation. It is literally the act of studying the content of consciousness. So you're studying what your mind is doing and how it jumps around and how to bring it back. We don't have time to teach that here, but just look for beginner introductions to meditation. And then after that, I think the idea is to bring in processes that facilitate developing good systems, sorry, bring in, develop good habits and routines. 
habits and routines will build who you are. What you do every single day is who you are and who you will become. This stuff has compounding effects. So if you want to be a kind of person, you need to do something toward that every single day. And you do that by having habits and routines. You have a morning routine that you do X, Y, and Z every single morning in that order. Make it internalized. So it's not a chore. It's just what you do. It's who you are. And meditation could be part of that. Writing could be part of that. Reading could be part of that. Studying a certain topic could be part of that. But build the habits and routines that make even a small part of looking into whatever topic or interest is a daily habit. Daily habits define who we are. So that would be the, the first few steps. Those are some awesome new first steps. And for everybody, if you're not sure, there's tons of apps out there. There's podcasts that you can listen to, including my show, with specific episodes on, um, you know, exercise, on nutrition. Uh, I just had Anna, Dr. Annika Becker on the show last week. So, August, I want to make sure people can find you. I mean, you've got the great new YouTube channel. You've got your podcast. What's the best way for people to find you? Uh, generally, mindandmachine.io. Uh, get all, all the stuff in the mind and machine world, my newsletter and my my podcast. And then notionproductivity.com is the new YouTube channel on Notion specifically. That's very niche and very narrow, but if that sounded intriguing, that'd be a good place to start there. And, um, you know, those two are the – I'm at, on Twitter. I'm at, at August Bradley. So I, I share a lot of thoughts on Twitter as well. Yeah, I love your Twitter channel. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Well, you know I love you anyway. I mean, it's just you challenge me, yet I don't get fearful in the challenge, which is a, is truly a gift, August, because... This is all hopeful. Not, there's no fear in this. This is all about hope and taking the lead in our lives. Yeah, and right now the world needs a lot of hope. Well, and it even needed it before. You know, hope is what drives creation of new ways of living, new ways of being, new technologies, right? It's all about hope. I mean, people don't create technology to not make the world better in most cases. Right. (laughs) Well, in virtually all cases, the intention is good. And, uh, yeah, in the end, we need to look – and we need to zoom back and take a wider context on how our individual actions have broader effects. That's something all of us can do better at. Okay, so why don't you – Expand that for the for the last thought of the last thought of the show, the whole concept of looking at yourself in the bigger picture. Yeah, there's so many actions that seem harmless or even positive to us individually in any given moment, but in the aggregate, as a society, they add up to some real negative, you know, consequences. And, you know, we see this perhaps very explicitly with environment, the environment, the deterioration of the environment. Um, but even on, you know, social media are we're feeding a, a machine that's, you know, invading, uh, eroding privacies and reshaping politics in ways that are just unanticipated. Yet, on an individual level, Facebook's wonderful. Like, we connect with people. We connect with family. And I don't have the answer to this. I'm just raising questions and questioning this for myself, too. How are my individual actions that are appealing to me and have some benefit on, as a one-off, how... Do they, how do those dynamics change in the aggregate? It's something we just need to, to wrestle with. There's no simple answer. But I think having a broad perspective on how our micro behaviors translate into that bigger ecosystem 
is something we can learn a lot from. Um, but again, it's complex and it's, it's hard to know what's right, but if we don't think about it, we're not going to get closer to understanding. Well, I mean, a great example of that right now is people who are not social distancing, not wearing masks, thinking that their actions won't impact other people. And right, yeah. We're all connected. We're all parts of interconnected systems. So. Yeah, I mean, I have family members who are respiratory therapists in hospitals in New York, and I know that any action, you know, if I was still in New York, any action I take could affect them if they had to go to the grocery store, if they had to go somewhere, you know, that could bring it could bring more patients into their ER, you know. Right. So, but at the same time, it's beautiful. I mean, we have a, popul- a part of the population that's more vulnerable with the virus. Yet so many people are taking so many actions to help protect the most vulnerable. I think there's something really uplifting about that, too. Beautiful thought, everybody. August Bradley, uh, I hope you enjoyed the show today. Remember, be kind, be safe. Take care of somebody else. Reach out to a neighbor, a family member, anything, just to help them see what's possible. Remember, the right questions can change your life. Have a great day, everyone. You've been listening to It's All About the Questions, starring Laura Stewart. Connect with Laura at itsallaboutthequestions.com and download a free workbook that will help you ask better questions starting today.